If you work across schools or treatment facilities and you want an environment characterized by students or clients behaving well and meeting their goals, you need Everyday Behavior Tools. These tools are so powerful and generalizable that you can train anybody anywhere in them. And here is the best part. The entire instructor training is online. If you are interested in becoming an Everyday Behavior Tools trainer to improve behavior in your organization while also generating more income for yourself, go to crisisintervention.com. Welcome to the Crisis in Education podcast, where educational leaders and experts across the world dissect the root causes of issues and explore potential opportunities for sustainable improvement across schools and districts. And now your co-hosts, Dr. Polly and Drew. Welcome to the Crisis in Education podcast. I am your host, Dr. Polly, and I'm flying solo today. Drew's actually on vacation. I thought, you know what? Let me give this a shot by myself to see how it turns out. This is going to be kind of a monologue, I guess. I don't know if that's a thing in podcasting, but hey, it's our podcast and we can do what we want. So if you get something out of it, great. If you don't like it, let me know and I won't do it anymore, but let's just find out. I want to talk to you today about something that is a hot topic all the time. That is the use of punishment in education. And though there's a lot of research that continues to demonstrate the negative effects on students and their achievement, educators continue to use punishment as a result of the apparent immediate effects on behavior. Now, given the principles of human behavior, this tendency really is not surprising. Research in applied behavior analysis or the science of human behavior has demonstrated that all behavior occurs as a result of positive reinforcement uh, or negative reinforcement. In other words, human behavior is actually operant in that it allows access to things that are meaningful in situations, which are positive reinforcement, or it allows for avoidance of things that they don't like, that are aversive to them, like driving the speed limit to avoid a ticket. That's an easy one to understand. But, you know, reinforcement that is positive, immediate, and certain maintains the largest impact on behavior. This followed by reinforcement that is negative, immediate, and certain. Now, as reinforcement becomes uncertain or becomes more distant from the behavior, it actually has a diminishing influence on the behavior. So in this case, when educators actually use punishment to correct misbehavior and they see that behavior stop, well, that has a reinforcing effect on the punisher. Like, why wouldn't I want to use it? Hey, Johnny, I need you to stop doing that now. And Johnny stops doing it. And that reinforces my behavior of saying, stop doing it. But there's a ripple effect of things that occur if that's all that we use as punishment. But let's look at what punishment is. Punishment is actually a stimulus that decreases or stops the future occurrence of behavior. Given the definitions provided by ABA, again, it's easy to discern why educators actually punish it. But when used incorrectly, the problem is that it's not teaching somebody what they should be doing. And we typically tend to only get compliance and it can actually make behaviors worse. I mean, think about it. If you've ever worked somewhere where the leader or manager, whatever their title might be, the noun is using punishment or fear of consequences to drive your behavior, right? You, you avoid that 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 aversive thing that they're going to deliver. And so your behavior falls under contingencies of negative reinforcement, right? You behave to avoid this thing. Well, 
it kind of sucks. You don't perform your best. You're probably not excited to come into work. Uh, if you're a teacher, you're certainly not re- reaching your potential. Neither are your kids if you're a teacher and that's what you're using to drive your students' performance. Uh, again, this is good. Lots of good people do this for scientific reasons because they see it works, at least temporarily. Now, you know, the problem, again, is that people will tend to only do enough to get by and only when the deliverer of the punishment is looking, Uh, you know, whether it be directly observing or in the case of maybe faculty or staff, your performance is being looked at, the data. And so you're like, oh, I don't want to get in trouble. Let me make sure that that is really, you know, moving in the right direction as opposed to positive reinforcement that brings out discretionary effort as evidenced by people going above and beyond. This means the adults in the building and the students in the building. I mean, think about it. If we're going to bring out the best in the students, we have to bring out the best in the staff and faculty. But I'm going to come back to punishment in just a second because I don't want you to think that punishment is always bad because there is a time and a place for it. You know, people do overuse it. Now, who's the blame? Uh, actually, Skinner, B.F. Skinner, uh, wrote an article in 1983, and it was blistering. It's called The Shame of American Education. And in it, he poses a few different questions and, and answers that are still pertinent today, even though that article was written in 1983. And here they are. Uh, one, are students at fault when they do not learn? And the answer being, no, they have not been taught well. Are teachers then at fault? The answer there is no, they have not been properly taught to teach. Are schools of education and teachers, colleges then at fault? Well, no, they have not been given a theory of behavior that leads to effective teaching. And then are behavioral scientists then at fault? This is me, you know, my fault or the people around me. Well, no, a culture that too strongly is committed to the view that a technology of behavior is a threat to freedom and dignity is not supporting the right behavioral science. So we, I would actually, I actually do think we're at fault just a little bit. We're not, we're not disseminating very well. But then he goes on to pose these questions of punishment that have really deep and ethical considerations in regard to punishment and education, including should students who do not learn be punished by flunking them? Should teachers who do not teach well be punished by discharging them? Should schools of education which do not teach teaching well be punished by disbanding them? Should behavioral science be punished for refusing to support it? Should the culture be punished for refusing to support behavioral science? Now, Skinner's points can be directly applied to the use of punishment in schools. Is it ethical to blame or punish educators or school systems who inappropriately apply punishment? I don't think so. These educators are likely simply attempting to use punishment as a means of getting a student to do something more, do something less, or do something differently using the same motivational techniques that have been instilled in them as a cultural norm. Now, is punishment bad? Eh, While it's become a naughty word in education, it is in fact not. A true punisher is just simply something that decreases the future occurrence of a behavior. If that is a bad behavior, then punishment might be a good thing. If that's wrong, then I don't really want to be right. But the problem isn't really about applying a punishment for misbehavior. The problem usually involves how the punishment is given and how frequently it is 
delivered relative to the amount of positive reinforcement delivered. If educators or anybody in general uh, follows like a four to one ratio of positive reinforcement to the use of punishment, they're probably in good shape. They just got to be aware that they, how they are delivering that one, like if they deliver that one correction, it's mean or coercive. This can really have a ripple effect across the relationship of the teacher and the student. Uh, if it's a school leader doing it with teachers, uh, it could have a ripple effect across teacher performance and their morale, and that impacts student performance and their morale. So really got to think about how we deliver that one. They, they say one lie can undo a thousand truths. I think this can be applied to the poor application of punishment as one highly coercive interaction can undo a thousand positive ones. Educators just have to be careful of the tone, the volume, the cadence of their voices when they're working with students and the same thing with the school leaders when they're working with teachers and whenever possible. And this is a huge thing. Nobody likes to be corrected publicly. So we really want to correct things as much as possible privately. This can really you know, help to sustain a positive relationship, which I'm going to talk about shortly. But you know, really, that's uh, what's at the root of positive relationship is positive reinforcement. And the simplest and most effective alternative to punishment is positive reinforcement for desired behaviors. Now, as I mentioned before, positive reinforcement is the only means of getting people to go above and beyond. This is students and adults or anybody, wherever. This is a science. It's just the way things are. And when we use fear of consequences, the best we're going to get out of people is compliance and only when we're looking. Again, think about the one time you are certain to be doing the speed limit, and that's probably when the law enforcement is looking. So, look, I, I really think that education is in crisis. It's the namesake of this podcast. And they really want a positive change, and they deserve it. If you're a teacher, you deserve it. If you're a school leader, you deserve it. You work hard. If you're anybody in there supporting education and student achievement, trying to improve behavior, I know you want to make a, a big difference. And I really think that we can. And we, we really need to stop asking educators what they can do for us and start asking them what we can do for them. So you know, if we're going to ask them to do things, well, first of all, we, we need to create an environment uh, that is really helps them to feel safe and respected. You know, if we want when I talk about asking them to do things like if we want them to create a good classroom. All right. And we say, well, you want your students to feel safe and respected. Well, they need to be feel safe and respected. So, unfortunately, in an attempt to kind of create this kind of environment, there's a ton of energy and resources put into very complex behavioral systems like token economies. Now, it's not that there isn't a time or a place for this type of thing, but when the adults in the building aren't even greeting students, smiling at them, asking how their day is, recognizing appropriate behavior more than inappropriate, or when the school leader is not doing the same thing, with the faculty and the staff, they're not greeting them, smiling at them, asking them how their day is, recognizing incremental improvements in performance. Everything falls apart. They, everybody needs to be from the top down treated this way. And by the way, that needs to go back up as well. School leaders get very little positive reinforcement or positive feedback 
from the folks that they support. It, you know, it's, they say it's lonely at the top, and, it, and take it from me, it, it really can be. So don't forget to reinforce up. If the school leader, if you're listening to this and you're a, a faculty or staff or, you know, you're under, you know, or even a school leader, you can reinforce up the district leader, you know. You want to let your leaders know what they're doing right and, you know, why you appreciate that they're doing it right and the outcome that it's producing for you and for others. And it just will increase the likelihood that they're going to continue to do it. And also, if you have to go and if you have an issue, when you go with the issue, it makes it seem like you're not the complainer. And so this is just human nature. But it's easy to find errors in the environment, what somebody's doing wrong. Good leaders, and this means district leaders, school leaders, and classroom leaders, really look for, do their best to look for, as much as possible, any type of improvement and recognize those things as much as possible. Well, there is a very simple intervention that can be used across the board. In fact, it should be fundamental to any behavioral or performance improvement measures. And it's, some might call it just being nice, but we're going to call it, and this is what it is, it's building positive relationships. And everybody knows that we should have a positive relationship or that it's important, relationships are important. But nobody talks about the very specific things we need to do to build relationships. So let's talk about this because if, you're, if your punishment's going to work, you really need to have a good relationship. And then you could probably look at student and just kind of give them the eye and they might stop doing it. That's the most that you have to do or ask them to sit down and raise their hand and they won't have a problem with it. But if you don't have a good relationship with your students or if you're a school leader, and you don't have a good relationship with your faculty and staff and you correct misbehavior, even if you're doing it nice, you start to become aversive to them. The more it's like it's the relationship bank, right? The more you recognize the behavior you, you want to see, the more likely it's going to happen. And the more you pair yourself with something positive, the more you correct misbehavior or performance that's not desired, the more you pair yourself with something aversive. And, you know, again, the like the bank, the, the every time you make a correction, you are taking money out of the bank. And when you take more money out of the bank than you put in, you get withdrawal uh, or not withdrawal. You get overdraft fees. And that, you know, in terms of behavior and performance, you probably get worse behavior and eventually worse performance, even though they might begin performing that one or two things better in the moment. It has an abating effect or a, a, a negative effect on all sorts of other behaviors and performance and morale and retention and all this kind of things, right? So let's really start with this simple intervention that is positive, you know, positive, developing positive relationships. Nothing complex. Keep it simple. And, you know, it, it's an amazing loop, you know, when you're reinforcing the students and the students, we can teach them to reinforce up or if you're a faculty and staff and you're reinforcing your school leader, if you're a school leader and you're reinforcing your your district leader, recognizing the good things that they're doing, uh, it starts to make a big difference. So let's look at these four steps that it takes to build a positive relationship. Number one, that is make time. While it might seem like there isn't enough time in the day as it is, Making time to check in will provide lots of return on investment in terms of improved behavior problems and increased performance. This goes for school and district leadership, too. When you, when you make time for your people, it has a positive impact on their morale and performance. 
Remember, this is for students and for staff and faculty, everybody. The second one is be nice. During that time, it's important you are genuine. Just checking the make time box off of the list can actually damn relationships. Yeah, I had a, a leader one time say that he was counting the amount of times that he praised you know, the people that work for him. <laughs> um, this can be a really important thing to do, but it's really not about, you know, the, the frequency of it, I mean, that's an important piece, but the quality of that interaction is very important. Just checking the box off isn't going to do it. It's got to be quality. You know, so make sure you are able to provide your full attention when you're making time and you're being nice. And don't be afraid to express your feelings and ask the student or the adults how they are feeling. We are all people. This is a very human thing to do, and it strengthens relationships. The third thing is pair. What separates educational leaders, this includes classroom leaders, school leaders, and district leaders, is the intentional search, as I mentioned earlier, and recognition of incremental improvement towards desired goals. Nobody can walk before they crawl, and nobody can run before they walk. When you specifically recognize what's progressively getting better, this often increases or even strengthens student behavior and adult performance. And the thing is that it also simultaneously has a really positive benefit and strengthens your relationships. It's just good. It's all good. The fourth and the final thing is balance. So listen, maybe everybody makes mistakes and nobody behaves or performs perfectly. It's during those times that it is important to provide corrective feedback. Don't get caught up into like a criticism trap. It's, it's easy to do this. If you look hard enough, you're going to find errors. But that's like somebody walking outside on a sunny day and complaining about the cloud on the horizon. Uh, as I mentioned, think about it like a relationship bank. If you're, if you're making sure you stick to the four to ones and the fours are really quality and the one isn't nasty or coercive, it's just giving feedback and maybe asking the right question, what's the goal? You know, how are you performing or behaving in relationship to the goal? Um, you know, what, you know, what can you do more or less or differently to, to make it that way? And if it's if they know what to do, well, you know, encouraging them to do that can help. If they don't know what to do, well, it's a skill deficit, then they need to be taught to do that kind of thing. So, you know, we know that positive student relationships are fundamental to success in education. No academic or behavioral system within the building will produce the desired outcomes, student achievement, without good relationships. Just like the adults in the building, when students feel supported, they're more likely to enjoy school, engage in learning, and reach their ultimate potential. When students have positive interactions with teachers, administrators, and staff, they have far fewer behavioral problems. The result is a positive climate, which is just shared perception, and positive culture, which is shared behavior, characterized by an increased love for learning and academic achievement. So, uh, you know, I, I hope those this short discussion about punishment and some of the issues with it and what to do instead in terms of positive relationships, it's not a terrible thing to punish. It's terrible when you only punish or where you punish too much or you're very coercive in your punishment or you're pub, you know you're punishing publicly i mean think about it if you're a faculty or uh 
staff here. And what would it be like if your school leader called you out and embarrassed you in front of the rest of your peers? <laughs> You're never going to forget that. And you're probably going to be so embarrassed by it that whatever they're teaching you in the moment or information that they're delivering to you, you're probably not going to hear it because you're thinking about how you wish you weren't at the school anymore. And it's the same thing with being in the classroom. And for anybody that's listening to this that is supporting educators or supporting you know, uh, teachers or school leaders, don't these principles go for you as well. You really have to focus on building a relationship with the educators to support them. If you don't have that relationship, if you go in and you try to force them to do things, well, you will then establish yourself as somebody who's coercive. We never want to do things to people. We want to do things with them. When you involve them in determining what's important to them, right? You find out their values, figure out what's important to them, involve them in goal setting and involve them in determining what behaviors they might need to engage in more or less or differently and support them with engaging those behaviors and help them to produce a positive outcome. Well, you're preparing yourself with reinforcement and that really can strengthen your relationship. And when you have that kind of relationship, people are more willing to go above and beyond for you. It, you know, it's kind of like a form of, you know, behavioral momentum where you get people just to do a little bit of, you know, easier stuff that doesn't take a lot of effort on their part. And if you can help them to produce some positive outcomes early on, well, you know, they're going to be more likely to dig in for the more challenging stuff. So I hope you got something out of this kind of a monologue based on some of the work I've done, uh, something I feel very passionate about. If you if you like this, please drop me a note. Um, leave us some feedback on uh, the, uh, the the whatever platform you're using. That's always helpful. And uh, well, I'll talk to you soon. Be well.